unusual thing to tell you guys this morning. Um, I was at a climbing event last night, and uh, two of our youth group members were competing, and they did outstanding. And I cheered a lot. <laughs> and uh, it's not normal for me to be like losing my voice, but <laughs> it's happening. So I will, I will do my best to make sure that you guys can hear me. I feel like that's never a problem for me. And so maybe you are thankful, but. <laughs> um, I also have another fun announcement. Um, I feel like the past few Sundays that I've preached, I've preached on texts that have made me very sad. And you guys have felt my sadness and you guys have sat with me in my sadness and you have loved me in my sadness and you've listened to me and you haven't come up afterward and said, Sam, would you stop being so emotive? It's been really beautiful the way you guys have related to me in the sadness of my preaching. <laughs> That's not the phrase I meant to use. Um, but I got a happy servant today. We got a happy passage to talk about. So you guys get to see happy Sam preaching this morning, though his voice is gone. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I hope you guys get to as well. I'm going to share with you a um, rather embarrassing element of my life. Uh, I... So I, w I was homeschooled. That's not the embarrassing element. Homeschooling is wonderful. I was homeschooled, um, and I was not part of like a homeschool co-op or anything like that. Uh, I had a ton of younger siblings. I had a couple of older siblings, but I really wanted a bunch of friends my own age. And uh, at church, there really weren't that many for a while. And in my house, there weren't that many. And so I began to make up my own. I had a whole band of merry friends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I really, really like the name Elizabeth. So I, I know there's some of you that are named Elizabeth. I love that name. I had a friend who was a guy named Elizabeth. I had a friend who was a girl who was named Elizabeth. I had a crush on the one that was a girl, even though she was an imaginary friend. And the guy was like my best bro. I had visual um, ideas of them. I had one guy who was an abbot. He would always wear long, um, smocks and, and uh, uh, outfits, and we would go around and fight imaginary bad guys. And so it was not uncommon for you to see me in the backyard with a rake handle unattached from the rake and throwing it around like it was my spear or my long sword, and I would always yell, come on, Elizabeth, and you never knew which one I was talking to. <laughs> it, was, it was just, I really wanted... I really wanted a group of friends. I wanted a group of friends that were my own age um, that we could go have exciting adventures with. Um, I, I, think, I think that's not uncommon. That, uh, at the very end of the, the Hobbit, there's this scene where Gandalf, um, well, Bilbo has, been, has done his journey, has lived his journey, has been in, back in the Shire now, and he had gone on this journey with a bunch of a bunch of mythical creatures called dwarves. And these, some of them died, some of them didn't, but they experienced all kinds of things together. And at the end, Bilbo's kind of sitting in his house and he's wishing he could go out on the road again. And he gets this knock. And it's Gandalf. And I think the dude's name is Balin. But he's like the one other um, guy that was like really close with Bilbo through this whole story. He speaks almost the most out of any of the 13 um, dwarves, uh, again, mythical creatures, um, in, 
in Tolkien's world. And it's, it's such this beautiful scene because here is Bilbo, so thrilled to see his friends, so thrilled to see Gandalf and Balin, and they, he invites them in, they smoke pipes, they sit around, and they talk, and they share with what's been going on in their current lives, and they share with what's been going on, what, like reminisce about the old times. It's this beautiful picture of friendship, and they talk late into the night. And I want you guys to take your minds there. Have you had a friendship? Have you had that kind of connection where that person has come and you haven't seen him in a long time and you just want to stay up all night talking? And it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a vibe that is just, you know, almost heavenly. Like, like the food tastes better than it ever has. You want to keep bringing it out. You don't want the night to end. You're just loving, spending time with this person. I absolutely love friendships. I think friendships are one of the most beautiful things that the Lord gives us, and they come right from his own experience of himself. Remember, God is three in one, and as confusing as that is, it gives us a picture of why we like to be in relationships. Because God himself, before he created a single element of matter, he was in relationship. He had in himself perfect community between the, him and the, fa the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and they loved one another, and they enjoyed one another, and they laughed at one another, and they carried on together, and it was like good old times every day until one of them was like, hey, let's make this bigger. Let's get a whole world, and let's fill it with people, and let's have relationships all over the place. And so when Adam is made, Adam is created, like the one thing that's not good in a perfect world is that he's by himself. He's alone. And so God creates Eve and brings Eve to Adam. And when, as Adam sees Eve, he doesn't say, oh, yes, I'm the luckiest man alive. I've got myself a wife. He says, that is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She's like me. She can talk to me. She can be in relationship with me. Now I get to experience with myself and her the same kind of relational um, experience that God in heaven receives. We were made to be in relationship. We were made to get to know one another. We were made to be known by one another. We were made to explore and enjoy and have adventures and to have friends named Elizabeth. Great, great on you guys. <laughs> Like, we were, that's what we were made for, to have those kinds of connections and have those kinds of relationships, and in those relationships, be a song of praise and glory to our God, who says, like recognizes like. Community hears community singing my praises, and I am glorified in that. As you guys connect with one another, that's what you experience. And I see you guys doing that. I see you guys doing that in a lot of ways. And I've experienced that from you in a lot of ways. All right, that was a very lengthy introduction. Let's get to my text. It's Romans 16. Romans 16, we're going to read verses 1 to 16, and then we're going to skip a couple and view 21, 22, and 23. And you'll see why I'm emphasizing here <laughs> relationships and friendships. All right, let's read. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, 
a servant of the church in St. Crea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet the dear friend Epinatus, who was the first convert in Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, uh, uh, that should be Junia, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampolitus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa, these women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, here we go, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and, her, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. And now skipping down to verse 20. One. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you greetings, sends his greetings. Erastus, who is in, who's the city director of public works, and our brother Quartus, sends you greetings. That is our text. A ton of names, a ton of people, all of whom are so important to our Lord, all of whom are so important to Paul, and all of whom you get to learn from today. All right, so let's set a little bit of context for Romans as quickly as I can. Romans has often been thought of as a theological treatise. Um, I kind of take it in a different direction. I'm backed up by Michael Gorman. He, I have said his name a number of times. Um, Michael Gorman emphasizes that Paul is a pastor. And so all of his letters are are specifically tuned to pastor the people he's writing to. He's got one key um, directive, one key desire for all of his letters. That through his letters, the churches he is writing to would grow in their relationship with the Lord. That they would know him better. That they would live out his truth better. That they would live out his truth more intentionally. That is the purpose. We are not heads on sticks. These are not just theological dissertations that are being passed around, though those are wonderful and important. These are pastoral letters, pastoral sermons, that are meant to inspire, to grow us in knowledge, and grow us in love for our Lord. And the cool thing is, 
because the Spirit saved these particular letters and we have them in our scriptures, that is also the intent they are for, to, for you. That's really exciting. Guys, as you have pastors, Keith, Doug, Greg, and I, and then, you know, elders and deacons and deaconesses here who, who are looking over you and loving you and seeking to serve you, you have another pastor, and his name's Paul, and he wrote these letters, though not directly to you, so that you would grow, so that you would know your Lord, so that you would experience fullness and richness in him. And so all of these letters are for that. Now, they are also to direct people, we've just read the names of many of them, who are experiencing specific situations. And in Rome, something has happened um, a number of years prior. Claudius was an emperor in Rome, and there was this feud happening among the Jewish people in Rome around this character named Crestus. Crestus is oddly <laughs> close to Christ or Messiah. It was some kind of messianic debate. We can hypothesize that that was a messianic debate about, around Christ, that Christ was the coming Messiah. Well, the, the debate got heated and Claudius expelled from Rome all of the Jews, all the Jewish people. They were kicked out of their homes. Um, Priscilla and Aquila, who are named first in this, in this list, they end up going to another city. I think it's Corinth immediately. And that's where Paul um, gets to know them really well. It's when they are expelled from Rome. Well, Claudius dies. And before we say hooray, Nero becomes the next one. So it's <laughs> not, not a great passing of power. But Nero invites those Jewish people that, he, that Claudius had expelled back. And so this church that has been divided for a number of years, where their brothers, their, their Jewish brothers and um, colleagues have left, they're now reunited. And that church has to figure out, hey, we are culturally very different. And we've been culturally together, like different for a while now. How do we reunite? How do we rebuild this connection? How do we work together? And so when Paul writes his letter, there's a lot of reasons why he's writing, but one of them is to give them this theological basis for which they can then go in Romans 14 and 15, welcome and live well with one another. Welcome one another. Love the weak. Bear with the weak. Respect the others. Love one another. That, like, the welcome of brothers with brothers and sisters with sisters is the crown moment in Romans in, in chapter 14 and 15, where Paul brings all of his theological expertise right there into the ground. Like, okay, what does all of this mean? What does justification by faith alone? What does you being a sinner, um, whether you are in the law, or Jew, uh, Jewish by cultural heritage and keeping the law or not, what does all that mean? We get to live together as the people of God in relationship with there is no dividing wall. There is no who's better than the other. We are one family, right? That's 14 and 15, the culminating moment. And then you get to this, which I just think cements that idea all the more. There's no better way to say, hey, let's all live together and love one another in this church than to start naming the people and say, hey, you guys, I love you guys. I see you guys. I see what you're doing. 
let's, let's mutually love one another too. I love how he says, greet these people. It's, it's, a, it's an imperative verb for them. Make sure that you send this, my greeting to them. You know, it'd be like, it'd be like uh, I'm just going to look at some of you guys. It'd be like me saying, hey, Ben, make sure that you greet Doug for me. Tell him that I love him. Hey, Doug, make sure that you greet John for me. And John, make sure you greet John. I got uh, Ben, Doug, John, and John <laughs> right there. Greet one another. Greet one another. Give one another the kiss of brotherly and sisterly love. Let's love one another. And he gives all of these names, all of these people that Paul cares about. And that is, I just think, the most beautiful way to end a, end a letter. To that, especially a letter that you're saying, hey, because of this great, wonderful truth we have, this great, wonderful theological truth that we hold dear, that Jesus is our Savior. He has called us from east and west, from all the nations. He's brought us here to be a church together. Let's love one another, and let's start naming names. Jesus and the church, from this text, Jesus is shaping the church to be a community of people that care about one another, a community of people that love one another, a community of people that know one another's names. And not just that. Look at what Paul knows about these people. I just, I, I dig it so much. Paul says of Priscilla and Aquila, they risked their lives for me. That's a big deal. <laughs> That's a big life event. Whoa! We were in a place, I almost died, they came to me and saved me. Right? Um, I, love, I love what he says, Eponidas is wonderful too, the first convert in Christ. That's a beautiful bond that Paul has with this man. But Mary and um, uh, Tryphosa, Tryphenia and Tryphosa, and I think Persis too, these are some of my favorite. Listen to these. This is verse 6, verse 12, uh, verse 6 and verse 12. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. You guys ever, you ever um, know someone who's just always at it? And he doesn't like, she, she, he or she may not have like a big role up here or may not have a, a big role somewhere, but they're just like working hard for the Lord. There's this guy, Norm Chaplin, when I was growing up. Norm Chaplin was the deacon that, that um, he did not like to be up front. He did not like to be front and center, but he would always make the coffee and he would always take out the trash and he would always come find me and talk to me about Celtics basketball. And he set up basketball, uh, basketball um, hoops in the churchyard and we would shoot hoops in the yard. Like Norm Chaplin hated anything public, but he loved me. He taught me how to sail. He taught me basketball. And then he started t teaching me about 60s music. He, was, he loved 60s music and so he would just like play 60s music for me and we would talk he was like the like as a guy who was having imaginary friends both named elizabeth right like i really needed someone just to want to talk to me and norm chaplin did he worked very hard he worked very hard for um for me to love me well um i don't want to embarrass some of you but like i see you guys working hard I see people working really hard, working their fingers to the bone. They, are lo they love the Lord, they love this community, and they pour themselves out for this community. 
and it's beautiful. I see it. Your Lord and Savior sees it. Mary, Tryphena, and Tryphosa, and Persis, we have no idea. We have no record of these people. These, in one sense, are historical nobodies, but they're here. They're not a nobody to Paul. He's pumped about them. He sees how they work hard, and he encourages them. He's like, I see you. You work hard for the Lord and in the Lord. And there are many among you that do it too. There are many among you, especially up there right now, <laughs> in that back, back left corner. A lot of you deaconesses, you guys work really hard. I get to read your, your reports. You guys work really hard for the Lord. You work really hard for this community. And man, it just, I'm, I'm getting emotional, but I always do. Like, it's not sad, sad. It's like happy, sad. Like, I see you guys, you do it. You do it. You're living in this way. You work really hard for the Lord. Um, he also knows some of these other guys. Uh, let's look at uh, down here, Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus. Now, Narcissus may be someone that we actually know historically. He may have been a big deal. Um, it's interesting. Paul's not saying greet Narcissus. He's saying greet um, the family of Narcissus. That means Narcissus probably wasn't a Christian himself. Uh, his wife probably was. And he, she and her household probably served the Lord and hosted a church in her um, community, or, or in, in her house, right? Like, he, he sees, he's seeing even those who are taking the back seat to really important people. Um, Paul sees... Uh, men that he identifies as single, well, not identifies, but doesn't associate them with their spouse. He sees uh, women that he doesn't associate with their spouse. He sees uh, women and men that he, that he associates with their brothers and their sisters. He sees women and men that he associates with, well, Rufus, who's with his mom, and then uh, others that uh, like are, are married, single, all over the place. And he he says, I see you guys, I love you guys, and invite and, and emphasizes their relationship. Hey, that's what we're called to be. That, that's what we're called to be. A community of people, right, who know one another, love one another, and are all over the place. Single, married, older, younger, with brothers and siblings in this church, um, alone. That's that's what the community of the church is supposed to be. We're getting the picture. We're getting the picture of what it's supposed to be, and it's exciting. And in this place, we are invited into relationship and friendship. Friends, it can be really hard to find friends in the church, especially at our church. Let's face it. Like, we're going to be here for three or four years, and then we'll move on, right? Because of schools and other reasons. Those of you that have stuck around here that have been here a while, man, you have seen some good people leave. And it is hard. I've been around for 10 years now. That's big time. That's big time for me. I'm a young guy. I've been around for 10 years. I've seen some, I never thought the Shams were going to leave. Janet and Vic, like when, when I heard that they were leaving, I was just like, may the Lord have mercy. What's happening? You guys know people that you've watched go away. 
and it's hard to want to continue to engage and relate here. But I want to encourage you, they're new, wonderful, fresh faces. And then those people that leave, they still love you. And we still get to now write to other people. One of the, I, I do a lot of the references. All right, I'm going to rag on some people here. I'm sorry. Rag in a good way. I do a lot of the references, so I call people and get references for um, children's ministry workers. If any of you want to be children's ministry workers, we need some. It's a shameless plug. Um, and one guy I called was Wade Erring. He's a pastor. And I was doing a checkup. <laughs> I didn't ask you. I'm do I was doing a checkup on Paul Frederick. And Paul, I really dig Paul. I, I, I got to know Paul through like him getting married and to Macy, who's wonderful too. And uh, Paul had an energy that I just like, I was like, geez, Paul, I, I'm dig I, I, I could hang out with you. I could really hang out with you. And I called Wade um, and Wade Urig, who's a pastor in another place. I was like, hey, Wade, Paul wants to do work with our youth ministry. I'd love to have him. Is there anything that you would say that he shouldn't? Is there any reason, you, you know, that, that he shouldn't? And then we just started talking about how much we love Paul for the next 20 minutes and how much of an encouragement he is to me and how much of an encouragement Paul was to Wade. And it just, like, it got a little bit ridiculous, but I loved it, right? Like, I every minute of it, that's... That's what Paul's doing right here. He is just loving seeing other people. He's loving these people from a distance. And as, as people leave this church, as they come, as they stay for three or four years, as they get committed here, as they get to know people, and as they go, we have the opportunity to say, hey, go well. We love you. And I can't wait to call you. I can't wait to like, touch base with you again. Those are the opportunities we get. Those are the opportunities we get to enjoy. And um, I know it's hard to watch people leave. But let's continue to be faithful in loving one another and seeing one another and working in one another. All right. Next point. Um, we have a great deal of diversity in this church in Romans. Now, there are, there are multiple churches being addressed. There are, scholars believe there are about five churches being, house churches being addressed in this passage. There is major diversity. You have um, names that are Jewish. You have names that are Greek. You have names that are generally um, relegated to those who were servants or slaves. You have um, names that were generally relegated to some of very important people. You have women, men. Rufus is most likely from Libya. He is most like, ugh, we can't say for sure, but um, very possibly could have been the son of the man that helped carry the cross for Jesus, Simon of Cyrene. That's kind of what scholars believe is the case, that that's this man. So we have, we have uh, Priscilla and Aquila who were from Pontus, though they are Jewish in heritage. We got people from all over the place represented in this passage. We have people from all over the place represented in this passage. And what we see is a incredibly diverse church. Now there are very, um, there are challenges with being a diverse church. We've talked about some of those already, not specifically, um, but it's something that Paul sees, Paul names, Paul appreciates, and, and the scriptures emphasizes. We are not to be homogenous. This is a really painful thing in a, the American church, guys. 
Um, today, tomorrow's going to be the celebration of Martin Luther King Day, right? Martin Luther King Jr. And the life that he lived, where he was em like trying to destroy um, segregation, where he was trying to bring civil rights into existence, and he fought in peaceful ways to do so. Uh, one of the saddest stories I think I read about the church is um, the development of this uh, AME church in, I think it was Philadelphia, where there, there was this specific church that was very diverse. It had um, uh, freed slaves or slaves that had escaped, um, African-American men and women in it, and many white people. They did not have a great uh, massive building. They didn't have a lot of money. They all sat on the first floor. And then that build, that church grew and, and grew and grew, and they were able to buy another um, building that had a balcony. Well, on the first Sunday, they went and told all of their black brothers and sisters to get up on the balcony. And told them they can't sit with them anymore on the, on the main floor. This is the church of God. No, brother, you were fine to sit with me last week, but now that I have an option, I'm going to choose you to get out of here. These, these run really deep. I mean, the, the Church of America's most segregated hour is what? Worship time, right? This is, this is wickedness, brothers and sisters. This is wickedness. This is what needs to be repented of and driven far from us, and it has to start with majority culture people who had the power, and that's us. And we have a long way to go, and I don't want to get up here and give you snippets of how it's going to be easy and how the gospel is going to just make it happen because the gospel hasn't made it happen in many years in a broad way. But I trust in it and we need to continue to pursue it. And we need to continue to pursue it to be a diverse community. Let, um, I, I feel like Martin Luther King Jr. Day is a day where I get to celebrate a man who loves um, the Lord in really spectacular ways. And I also have to mourn um, my own deadness and my heart for his message in so many ways. And I want, as, as we think of a richly diverse community in this church, as we dream of that, I want us to dream of that here. I want us to dream of that in Memorial, that we would reflect actually the community around us, that our worship would reflect um, the community of the church here in St. Louis, that we would pursue that, that we would pursue one another, that we would love one another, and that we would care for one another, um, regardless of how we look, regardless of how we smell, smell, regardless of how we dress our hair or dress our bodies, that our love for one another would be that kind of love. Um, another way in which we see in which we are properly convicted, I believe, by this text, is the role of women in the church. Um, Romans 16, ugh, guys, I gotta wrap this sermon up. Romans 16 is a really important text. It is a really important text for women in, this ch in the church. You got Phoebe, you got Priscilla, you got, our, our text says Junius. Ah, that is not, that is not a good translation. Just, let's just say that. The NIV is a wonderful translation in lots of ways that um, our text in verse 7 says, greet Andronicus and Junius. Uh, it should be Junia. There is no other 
name Junius found in any document. <laughs> not just the Bible, any document. Um, so that should, not, that should not be the case. Uh, what Phoebe, Phoebe's role in this, she's a sister who was a deacon, and she is sent with this letter. She is the courier. She probably read it to the congregation. She probably explained it as they had questions. She was the one entrusted with the letter. Now, I, I don't know how that works with 1 Timothy. I'm just going to be really honest. That's, that's a tricky one for me to, to parse out. And I desperately hope that you will hear another sermon by someone more competent than me on this passage. I won't just hope. I'm going to be encouraging Craig and Keith and our staff to revisit this passage soon. Uh, that's a promise for me to you. Uh, but this passage will, uh, I mean, it emphasizes that Phoebe did carry this letter, and we generally believe that that means she read it. Um, so she would have taught from a pulpit, essentially. It doesn't necessarily mean she's ordained. It doesn't necessarily mean she was a pastor. But she is um, in some way a minister. Junia is in some way an um, apostle. She is outstanding among the apostles. Uh, she was an ordained missionary, essentially. Ordained is a funky word, but she would have been sent with the blessing of the apostles to go. And a, an, an apostle is not just the 12, but also someone who was sent to carry the message of God. In essence, guys, if women aren't a part of your church in leadership, we are not following example of the New Testament. If women aren't very visible in your church, if they're not important in your church, if their voices aren't heard, if their voices aren't used, we got some problems. And that's, shouldn't feel like a spicy take, but wow, I'm like sweating underneath this. Goodness gracious. Um, it's, just, it's, it's just the nature of this text. You got 27 names, nine of them are women. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Ladies, um, if you have felt, ladies, sisters in Christ, if you have felt like your voice doesn't matter here, I want you to know it does to your Lord. And that is our sin. And I want to apologize if you have felt that way. I want, to hear, I want you to hear me say that. And since I've said it publicly, now you get to hold me to it as we move forward. Anyway, Romans 16. We got to come back to it, right? We got to, Keith, we got it. You got it. We got to come back to it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, so we see this incredibly diverse community of people that know each other, that love each other, that care about each other. What? Ooh, I'm going to do a Greg. What is the way that it works? <laughs> How, does it, how is it possible? How do we get it? Well, there's these two words that just keep showing up throughout this text. They are workers in Christ Jesus. In, Christ Jesus. Um, in verse 5, Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia, Mary, who worked hard for you, Andronicus and Eunice, 
my relatives who have been in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles and were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampelitis, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet uh, Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Again, in verse 12, who work hard in the Lord. And then again in verse 12, very hard in the Lord. You guys see it? I, I hope I've made it incredibly obvious. <laughs> all of these people, the, the tie that binds them all together is their union in Christ. It's what Christ is accomplishing when he says and when he prays in um, when he prays in chapter in John 17, Lord, may they be one as we are one, they and me, right? That's what he's talking about. Us being in him, moving in his life, in his experience, walking his ways, loving one another as he ministered to us, as he showed us when he was on earth and as he continues to do. The great bow that ties us together is our unity in Christ. It's our in Christness <laughs> that makes us love one another. That makes us listen to one another when we have when we share concerns. That makes us be able to take the seconds that like say, "Oh, wait, I don't have to be offended because you and I, are, unless offense is meant, right? <laughs> um, because you and I are in Christ, and so we can listen to one another's uh, concerns. We can listen to one another's sensitivities. We can listen to one another's uh, cares in love because that's what Christ did, and we are now being wrapped up into Him." Brothers and sisters, when Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins, that wasn't just the end. It's not just like you got the, blank, the, 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 the clean slate, you got fireproof, you're good. He invited you into eternal fellowship with him. And you are in him. You abide in him. You move in him. You will begin to look like him. You will begin to act like him in many, many ways as you continue to pursue him. It's the exciting reality of what it is what to be in church. The exciting reality. As you commit here, as you dig in here, as you love one another, you are in Christ. And that, for lack of a better term, in-ness, is going to bind you together. It's going to grow you in holiness and grow you in, in him and you will experience him. If you haven't, hold on. Hold on. It's a promise. It's a promise that he gives you. It's a prayer that Jesus prayed, and none of his prayers were unanswered except for, well, he did say, let thy will be done at the Garden of Gethsemane. The Lord's prayers are not unanswered. He prayed for you, that you would be in him, and in him you will know relationships with one another, relationship with him, and we can actually be a church that honors Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you gave yourself for us. You gave us one body, one blood to partake. You gave us one baptism for the remission of sins. You brought us into your life. And you call us to be one with one another and one in you. Father, as we are lonely in this church, forgive us. Help us to see one another. Help us to love one another. Help there to be no lonely among us. As we are homogenous in this church, forgive us. 
Let us be a diverse place. Work in us the welcome of your love, of your son, of, of the work that you're doing, that all may come and see you and experience you here in this place, here at Memorial Prez. Would you know, would, would your character and your heart for the nations, your heart for all peoples be seen here? Help us to love one another as you love us. And thank you that we don't have to walk this alone, that you give us yourself and you give us one another. In your name I pray, amen.